So we're doing this a little bit different than some of the podcasts we've done before in the past, Serge. It's meant to be conversational. It's meant to have a back and forth. The idea is just to have a conversation covering some of the things that have changed over the last nine months, you know, the new reality in the world, how uh, how that's affected people's day-to-days, touch on how that's affected first, how hard it's been to try and organize things and keep the, the community engaged during a time where people by their very nature, can't actually go out and, and meet people and, and have that kind of engagement that we've had in the past. Yes, so that's one of the things. And the other thing, I guess, is really kind of living with the anxiety or the pressure of this pandemic around. I feel this has had a quite an impact on people that kind of make them unsure about the future. I mean, we, we are kind of spoiled in our community. Like we take our jobs for guaranteed and, and all of a sudden you you faced with a lot of uncertainty. It's like Chris says, it's been nine months when this all started. What really drove home to you that we were kind of in a new situation? Well, I guess at the beginning, it was really about a mixture of kind of wonder what's going on and still the hope this is going to be over very soon. And and no one knew really what's coming out. I don't think people anticipated that this is going to last for so long. It just said, okay, we're we going to we're going to have a problem for two months or so. It's more like a bad storm or something that takes out the infrastructure of a country so you can't fly there, but they're going to fix it in a couple of months. And then it turned out to last a lot longer and have a lot more impact on your daily lives and on the way you start working. On the first board, this was a lot A lot of the discussions revolved about how, what we're going to do about our in-person events. That was really the big thing. It, the first one to be hit was the CTI symposium and we were really right at the border and it was kind of interesting at the end of the day the host organization which is a big swiss bank had its board of directors decided we're not going to host a public conference on our premises and this was kind of two weeks before the lockdown happened here that's a little bit of a of an abrupt uh notification that hey yeah this we're taking this seriously enough that we don't want you actually to be on site and and making things worse yes it was and and then but still at that time people couldn't in my my opinion really gauge where this was there were some people who were really afraid and there were others that were saying oh this is just to they want to just to be on the safe side and, and don't take any liabilities and then there were people who said, oh, come on, they totally exaggerate and they're, they're overdoing it. And at the beginning, there was a lot of disagreement on, on how bad this is, which I feel has to some extent changed by now, at least in, in the bubble I hang out. There is quite a consent that this is a serious issue and the respective measures have to be taken. But at that time, I, I thought it, put people into limbo. A lot of people thought, oh, this is totally overreaction, whereas others thought, hey, this is really, this is really, really, really bad. And and that created a lot of tension, I felt. I think limbo is the right word for it, right? Human beings don't do well with ambiguity. And there was a lot of ambiguity over the, at least the beginning phase, where it was like, this is, as you said, this could be over in two weeks, this could be over in a month. How, what do we need to cancel? What can we leave? you know, oh, this will be over by summer. And, and it isn't until I think after summer that people started to really realize this is not going away. This is not a short-term thing. There is no ambiguity anymore. It is, this, this is the reality for another six months. 
I honestly feel like the the announcement of the vaccines has put people back to the beginning again. It's made people think there's a vaccine, so I don't need to care anymore. But the reality of this is a vaccine is not going to be at your doorstep tomorrow, right? Ordering 100,000 or 100 million vaccines for a country is is not something you just snap your fingers and it's done. There's, there's so much logistical work to get done to actually have this rolled out to people. But people see that it's there and they think it's over. And that's where I see people trying to get back to normal before you really can. Yes, I think so. That's certainly something that I that I observe here, that um, that people do Christmas shopping as if it's uh, kind of Boxing Day already. That's how it feels when you go to the city. Like the numbers are going up where I live too. But that doesn't really seem to be bothered people. I find this quite concerning. And I've, I find there is a mismatch between what I see in, in the general population and what I see mostly in the InfoSec security and in the first community, there's very few people who who argue that stringent measures are, are wrong and not needed anymore in the InfoSec community. But that's not what I see in the press or in the newspapers or how people behave. It's kind of interesting. Is maybe because instance responders are, after all, used to live with in uncertain times and live with ambiguity and need to take decisions when they don't know all the facts and security professionals are always risk adverse right it's it's always worst case scenario this is so terrible this is going to get going to get really bad i we've kind of got a bad name for it because effectively when people say how how bad is this going to be usually about a vulnerability or uh, about an exposure then it's like oh it's terrible it's terrible but then someone comes in and says well is it really and then it's kind of ramps down a bit but in this case it really is terrible and people should be listening. Yes, it is. And it's actually strange that you should mention that. I, I still think we have a couple of people who see the world too dark. And to be honest, I think despite all the bad things that COVID has brought about, it actually has had some good effects. And one thing that really impressed me was about um, the annual conference that we had to move virtual because obviously we couldn't do it in person. And and at the beginning, I thought, oh, come on, everybody's fed up of, of virtual meetings. We, we've seen it. We've seen too many of these. This was actually the largest conference we've ever had. We had 1,500 active participants. What's even cooler is that we had participants from places that traditionally would not come to the conference because they couldn't afford it. It was too far away, whatnot. So COVID managed to actually make first a lot more approachable. It made it accessible for people that traditionally would not come to our events. I thought that was actually quite a positive thing. I mean, personally, I would love to come to a 21, 2021 first conference. I, I mean, in part because I, I'm just hoping we can actually have it in Japan this year. But also because I've been stuck at home for nine months. I have barely, I mean, I, I had to move during that time as well. I am isolated. Um, if it wasn't for my family, um, I wouldn't see people at all. I go to, I have been out maybe two or three times in the last uh, month. I have everything I can delivered. So I understand what Chris is saying about us as security professionals being um, sort of that the sky is falling. But I, I mean, hey, I'm in America. I'm an American. Uh, it would be hard for it to be worse than it is right now, strictly. And this is not politics. This is just the the COVID virus taking its toll. 
we're seeing 3000. I mean, this is the middle of December and we're seeing 3000 people a day pass away because of this virus. So it's kind of hard for me to think that there are people who are too dark at this point. I mean, yes, we've said the sky is falling enough times that we had to be right once, but it's hard to believe that, that it could get worse or it could be worse um, in some people's minds. Well, sadly, I think there is a lot of people who who's still feel it's not a big issue. I mean, we had a uh, politician here complaining that uh, the closure of restaurants made it impossible for him to have fresh bread on his Sunday breakfast. And that just makes me makes me wonder. I think COVID has a lot a lot more impact than uh, than all the obvious ones. So there's a lot of people, I think, that that develop anxieties. And uh, in where I work, we have a lot of people that come from foreign countries. So we are a very multinational company. And the people that have moved to Switzerland, where I work in, in the past couple of weeks or months, they really have a problem. They don't know anyone. They're isolated. They're away from their families. And, and they're typically don't have the nice apartments yet. So they live in, in smallish apartments. And for them, it's really, really hard. And um, we still have a couple of people going actually to work. Because the company try to be um, easy. It recommends work from home if you can. But there's some people that say, hey, look, I moved here a couple of weeks ago. I don't even have the furniture yet. It's hard to buy this. And for them, it's really hard. That is a challenge that we really underestimated, that people start feeling isolated and if you have family, then at least you'll have family. But if you if you're in a single household, that's tough. I think there's a couple of different sets of people. There's some people who are really thriving with the remote work, right? So people who who found that work going to the office was a distraction. You know, people who work in open plan offices and and there's always constant distractions. There's a subset of people who are introverts and and to use an overloaded term but are really enjoying the <laughs> the focus time right the ability to actually sit in front of a computer for eight hours and just turn off all of those distractions and not have people actually interrupt you but yeah there's also a subset of people who are doing very badly um and and i think that over time even the people who are doing well have reached that point where it's like i've been alone in an apartment for nine to ten months even as an introvert myself this this has reached the point where I no longer want to be in the apartment. I, I need to get out there. I need to do something. And and even as you know, I can see that happening across you know, my organization that I work for. Right? People are, are saying, "No, this is enough. I need to do something else." Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think, and I'm actually not sure if if the the remote work really means undisturbed work because we have all instant messaging, we have video calls, and. Uh, and now we all of a sudden are in, in all of these meetings that are just kind of time to the hour, whereas before you would actually have a couple of minutes to walk from one meeting room to the next one. So now you just switch within seconds. And I find that is actually a stress. I still find I don't have the quiet time that I would like to have to do my work. And it also is something that's hard on teams. It's... it's like few of us can actually, I think, work in complete isolations. Most of us, I would assume, actually need to work within teams because you're part of a team structure and that is a challenge. So in, in my team, we actually really decided to have daily 
kind of lunch calls where we just talk maybe 10, 15 minutes. It, if there is work-related issues, then we can talk about this, but it's also about just social chit-chats. So we can actually maintain the team and the, the team structure and the social interaction between the team. One of the things I miss about FIRST, I mean, uh, about the annual conference is that ability to go someplace where I am just, I have a few days where I'm away from work, where I'm not having to concentrate on the email or the writing or whatever, and I can I can hang out with people that I enjoy being with and Chris. Um, I can um, go in and actually just relax a little bit, and we don't have any ability not even not even do we not have the ability to do this one annual event we don't have the ability to go down to a, a local bar or to have in chris in my case D D games or any of that type of social interaction it's hard do you do you think serge and I, I have a feeling chris wants to say something first but do you think that this is going to change how first does conferences going forward do you think that we will see of streaming video component of uh, the conference from from here on out. I actually do think first events are going to change, but not in the sense that we're going to get rid of in-person events. I think in-person events will always have a place, and I think they're needed exactly for what you just said, that you can get together, that you can have the informal chat in the hallway over a coffee, or you skip a boring lecture, uh, you go to the bar in the evening. It's like a big part of our work is trust and trust is a human thing. You cannot substitute trust by kind of protocol or meetings and stuff like this. Trust is something we we do, we build together. It comes from, from having a beer together. I call the C-Cert network a, a beer-to-beer network. That's that's how we build trust. So, And I think that is something that we really realize at, at first and we want to have real in-person get-togethers again. Having said that, for some pl- people, it's just very hard to take this week off and, and travel to a conference. So offering them an, the ability to actually dial in and, and be part of it, I think is something that we should explore more and that we will have, I think, uh, a lot more in, in, in the coming conferences. I don't think we're going to have social events that are virtual because that's just is not the same thing, but at least that we have workshops, that we have technical talks where people can ask questions, where we all of a sudden can open up to to people that just can't make it to the conference. I think that that will that will remain, but the in person thing clearly is 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 going to happen. So what does that what does that really mean for some of the content that we see at first? Right. So I mean, having attended first for more years than I care to, to remember, it's it's always been those talks that you can't talk about outside of the conference, that, that trust, where someone is presenting something that is, it's for your eyes only, it's only if you're in the room, it's, it's, it's that kind of content that, not on its own, but a big part of that is, is, is about trust, trusting people in the room. And when you start to involve people outside the room, you start to involve people online, you, you lose that element of trust. Right. Is the person who's dialed in really the person they're meant to be? Are they recording the call? Right. It's, it becomes a lot harder to, to handle those kind of things. 
Yes, and I think that's something we have to take into account. I, I don't think the goal of a virtual conference is trying to emulate one-to-one -one, uh, an in-person conference. It's kind of like if you try, if the vegetarians try to produce fake meat, it just isn't meat. I mean, don't do it. And I think the TLP red talks, the really confidential talks that you don't talk outside, they're going to happen and they're not going to have remote participation. But a lot of the talks are actually not about that. They're about public information uh, that you can carry out and that can be made available and that people actually like to be made available. A lot of the speakers of this virtual conference actually approached us and said, hey, when is it going to appear on YouTube? Because this is really good for me. So I, th I think we have to make sure we take the best of the two worlds and don't kind of try to mix all in, in one. We're going to have closed sessions, TLP red sessions, that are for people on site only. If everything else would, in my view, be kind of stupid. Why would we give that up? At the same time, there is going to be talks that that are going to be streamed. That's not a problem. And and so why not make these accessible to, to a wider audience? Most of the folks who are coming to the conference are many of the same folks year after year. I mean, there are always, there's always an influx of new blood. Um, but for a lot of us, if it's in the U.S., if it's in most of these major um, countries, it's it, it may not be easy to get to, but it's justifiable and, and it means that we can make it there and spend some time. I wonder if this will open it up to some of the smaller companies, some of the countries that we're getting to Japan, getting to Canada, getting to the U.S. is harder. Um, and to make it something where we can reach out to some of those smaller organizations and give them a, a bigger opportunity to not just attend the conference virtually, but maybe we can even um, reach out to some of these folks and get them to participate in first in a more active manner by that online participation. So uh, I, I guess I'm just saying that I think that that's, that can be a really positive thing on a number of of. Uh, factors for the future first yes i totally agree and i think it's a it's also an opportunity to actually make first known to a much wider audience at the virtual conference 70 percent of the participants were not first members and that's a lot more than we had in the in the in-person events and I think a lot of these people that may actually now start considering joining first and because they, they see, hey, there's really interesting people there. There's value in, in what's discussed at these locations, at these events. So I think that is a that is a great opportunity. We should be moving forward. Another thing that I kind of forgot to mention, what I feel is, is really an advantage of an in-person conferences that you can actually go there and be there and don't have anything else around your head. It's right now, if I'm participating in an online conference, I'm still at work technically. People don't realize I'm not in the office. So the stream of requests keep, keep coming in. When I'm at a physical meeting, I'm out of office and people know the calendar says, Hey, he's at this event. He's in a different time zone. And uh, so really only ping him if it's, if it's a total emergency. That is one of the things that I'm really missing, that I have this this one week in, in the year where I can put my mind to something else, to, to broaden the things, to learn new things, to get new ideas, because I really feel this is a, a very, very important 
part of our work that we we never cease to learn new things and at least I tend to get swamped by the everyday work and I need to take take some time away to actually get new inspirations and new ideas and that shouldn't be swamped by my daily chit chat in the office I, mean, I think that companies are going to have to come around to that new reality right where you're you know instead of being out of office you're out of home office effectively you know, you're not available it's the, it's the same thing regardless of where you happen to be especially if you plan to get the most possible out of the conference right because you can't get things out of the conference if it's streaming away in the background but you're also doing email and you're also you know in another meeting and you just drop off talks halfway through if you're not paying attention you're only going to get a very limited amount out of it so i think it's going to take a concerted effort from companies and from attendees to be able to make those kind of things a, a reality and i i don't i don't think companies are there yet because they expect if you're available in the time zone they expect you to be available over chat and, and i think that's something that companies are going to have to learn and embrace moving forward yeah i totally agree and uh, in an in-person conference i often try to leave my laptop at in the hotel room when I attend lectures or, or go there so there's no distraction because I know if I open that damn thing during a during a lecture or a presentation it's gonna suck me in and then and I'm just gonna be lost it's, it's very hard when that's the machine that you're dialing into the conference on right you just know that the other tab has your email open in it and you're like oh well between sessions, I'll just check. Yes. And then that's it. It's it's all gone. Plus all these floating windows of people that ping you in instant messaging. And uh, that I find this hard too. And I've actually started shutting down Slack during, uh, during lectures. That's a good plan. I mean, I left mine open and then Martin pings me and it, it just all goes downhill from there. I mean, it was I was having a good day and then suddenly Martin. You know, it could have been worse. I could have been tweeting at you or using, well, Google Chat or whatever it's called nowadays or or one of the many tools that your your company makes. Uh, so it could always be worse, Chris. Trust me. It's true. It could be, yes. Yes, plus you probably have to pay attention to really shut down all of the instant messaging applications you're having. I don't think that's possible. Um, I, I think that if you're logged in somewhere, there's going to be a chat app that's going to ping, right? So I I'm surprised that my phone isn't pinging at the moment. It's it's always on. Yes, that's true. It's actually quite interesting that in 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 a lot of these Zoom conferences or Zoom workshops, you kind of seem to always have two streams. One is happening in the chat, where people are discussing something that diverges at an enormous speed from what's discussed in the video in the video part and then I guess the better organized ones then have a moderator that tries to bring these streams together but it's kind of interesting and I notice myself I I can't follow the chat and uh, the video it's not possible for me it gets worse I, I'm I'm currently doing a training class from home where we are um, using zoom for the presentation um, we're remote connecting into some workstations in order to do some practical exercises. And then we have Discord open for chat and other other things, multiple channels, obviously. So I, I effectively, I'm using three different systems. I'm remoted into two other systems. I'm tabbing between things. I've got four screens on my desk and speakers and a headset and a microphone. And it's it's almost impossible to concentrate on one thing for more than a couple of seconds because you get dragged off onto something else. Yes, I find this, uh, I really find this is a big, 
a bit of an it's actually a big issue and so like this is what we talked about in the beginning about the the introverts really working away on the on their stuff not distracted i kind of wonder if that cannot turn against you in the sense that because everybody thinks you not distracted uh, you stop paying attention to that. I mean, when I'm in the office, there's times when I put on my headphones uh, and then it's kind of clear that I don't want to be disturbed. I, it's very hard to have this at home because people don't see me as the headphones on. So let's pretend for a second that it's June or July 2021. We, we've all been inoculated and, and we can actually safely travel again for the most part. What's the, what do you want to, what's one of the first things you want to do to get out of the house? What is, where is the first place you want to go, Serge? That's really a good question because I, that's a conversation I'm having with my partner where we wonder what is it we want to do? And uh, honestly, for me, I think what I'm missing is, is meeting people or cultures that are different from what I have here at home. One of the greatest values all the traveling that I could do for first has for me is, is really that it helps me to broaden my horizon. It's a, it, it forces me to get out of my bubble. It's a, and I think that's the big value. And so in, in that respect, it doesn't really matter very much where it's geographically, as long as it's different people that have a different experience, a different setting, a different context that I can participate to kind of help to see my issues and, and my challenges in a different light. If you ask me where I would like to go geographically, pretty much anywhere where there's interesting people. Anywhere that doesn't have those same four walls? Yes, exactly. I mean, we're really lucky here in Switzerland because our, our shutdown was very mild. So we actually ended up going to the mountains a lot more than the previous years just because I was around. But I'm, I, I miss seeing people and I miss seeing my peers that I have, the friends that I've, friendships I've formed over, over the years in first. Uh, and I started realizing that even though I saw some of the people's maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, those occasions were very important. And it's, it takes an effort to keep this alive. It's, a, it's just not the same doing this over Zoom or, or email or anything like that even if it's only once or twice a year. Martin, you seem to have a very specific thing in mind for yourself. So yeah, spill it. What, what, what is it you want to do if, if everything happens in June, July, you can go off and do whatever you want? Oh, I mean, personally, my dream vacation would be to go back to Japan and, and travel around for a, a month and, and just see all the back sides of Japan that we haven't seen um, in our couple of trips there. But realistically, I'd be happy to be able to go and sit in a movie theater and watch a movie on a big screen again. I'd be happy to be able to go to the mall and, and not be worried that the person standing five and a half feet away from me coughing is a transmitter. Um, I'd, I'd basically at this point, I'd like to be able to have a face-to-face D&D game again. Um, so for me, it, it's kind of echoing surge. It's just something different, seeing people different, uh, seeing different people than the, the four people I live with. 
another thing, I would just like to travel up to Boston and go to the office uh, Akamai has there and actually see my coworkers face to face, most of them at least, um, because I, I even before the pandemic, I didn't get to see them face to face often enough because I I live 500 miles away from our main office, but. That is a, a big component of working together is just that social interaction. Um, again, like Serge said, of, of being able to take a couple minutes and say, hey, how are you doing? How is your day going? Um, hey, maybe it's five or ten minutes that we're not working, but we're building a relationship. And that's important for human beings. Even, even introverts, to some degree, need that human interaction. And, and I think everybody I know introvert or extrovert is kind of suffering from that loss and really looking forward to being able to, to talk to somebody from farther than uh, uh, 10 feet away. Yeah, I, I really agree. And, and I actually think it's when it comes to work, it's even more than just social interaction with your coworkers. It's, it's also in the interest of the, the companies that people actually talk across team borders. And that's what I miss most I, I get to talk to my team members every day and and be really easy in just having a, a quick chat about something. But it's really hard to stay in touch with the people from other teams. And that is actually a potential that I think even at the best of times is is not really well tapped. A long time ago I, I worked at a a nuclear research facility. So there were I don't know thousand physicists or what. And what the organization did it actually put blackboards behind the coffee machines or beside the coffee machines i should say because people would actually meet waiting for a coffee and they start getting into conversation and a lot of the time that actually started developing in really productive conversations that would never have happened if you had planned them so i thought this was a great idea with these blackboards beside the coffee makers where you could start scribbling and stuff like that that was awesome so, Chris, where are you going to go once your incarceration is over? So my girlfriend and I have actually been pretty blessed over this year in that we, we got lucky before the lockdown happened in Switzerland. We managed to go and, and spend some time in France. And then as things locked down, we came back again. Then things quietened down a little bit and we managed to get some time to go to um, to Italy, which was nice because it was significantly less busy than it would be if we went <laughs> if we went when it was actually busy. So um, we actually managed to go to some places that as an introvert, I would never even consider going to. Um, so I've seen photos and, and Florence is, is lovely, but I can't put up with those crowds. But um, so we managed to get away a few times and I think that's helped to soften the blow. The one thing that both my girlfriend and I haven't been able to do is go home and visit family. Right? My my family in the UK. My sister is in NH works for the NHS, and uh, she's she's frontline. My my mother is high risk because she has lupus and uh, she's over a certain age, which I won't say here, otherwise she'll kill me. But uh, you know, effectively, she she can't see anyone. She can't even see my sister. And uh, very similar case for for my girlfriend's parents. And and even if we wanted to go back and wave from a distance, is a fourteen day quarantine and things like that, which is just not compatible with 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 anything at the moment. So, I think for me, it's mostly going to be seeing family, right? Spending some time trying to catch up again. It's been a year since I've seen any of them and it's, it's really dragging. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that's what probably also makes it so hard for a lot of people coping with, with all these lockdowns and social distancing. We, we are 
social animals at the end of the day. And people need to have some form of interaction. I mean, you hear people that work in kind of a homes for elderly people. All people there say, look, the worst thing is, is not being able to see my kids, my grandchildren. And uh, and I think there's there's a lot to that. And as a society, we really have to have to come to grips with what these social interactions actually mean for us. At, at the end of November, uh, we had a scare. My grandmother, who's 99 and living in a home, had passed out. And when by the time it the news got to me, um, we thought she had both COVID and pneumonia because that's what the doctors told my aunt. Both of them ended up being a false alarm, but we spent a weekend thinking that at any time we could get that last call that my grandmother was going to be, had passed away. And, and it was because of this pandemic. It was a very stressful time for almost everybody on in the family. Luckily, it turned out, well, both were false positives and, and she doesn't have COVID. She doesn't have pneumonia. She's probably going to outlive my mother and my gra- and my aunt um, just out of spite. But um, I can't imagine being some of the people who are dealing with this pandemic where their, their friends and family are the ones who are actually suffering, uh, who are actually dying. And, and it, it's a horrible time to be alive. But luckily, 2020 is almost over. I hope we and, and pray it doesn't get worse before it gets better. Yes, it's indeed. And I mean, one of the things I really was thinking a couple of times is how would we have coped with this pandemic 10 years ago? I, as bad as it is, uh, and as much as I hope this is really over soon, I think the technical abilities we have have today really have, have made this very, very different and, and a lot easier than, uh, than it would have been only 10 years ago or not to mention 20, 30 years ago. And that's also sometimes when I think when people don't respect kind of the common sense rules is what are you complaining about? I mean, it's, yes, COVID sucks. It's a, we, we all want to have it gone, but look how, how much worse it, it could have been and and look on how it affects people that live in places that aren't as wealthy as, as most of the places where first members live. I mean, I agree. I mean, the, the technology f- was there from day one, right? I, I just maybe companies needed to adopt it. Maybe companies needed to change some of how they worked. But the, the technology was there and it was available for them to make this happen. But I also think that if it was 15, 20 years ago and the technology wasn't there for anybody, I feel like governments may have handled this more evenly, right? So as, as one of the lucky few who can work remotely, who has technology to do everything I need to do for a job and could literally walk out of the office in the morning and be online as soon as I got home with no difference at all, right? It's as if I'm sitting at the office. You know, I'm blessed in that way in that I can do my job. But if no one could do the job, maybe people would have, you know, the governments would have said, okay, everything is going to have to stop until this is this is dealt with. Everyone has to stay at home and, and come up with some more even-handed solutions that are applicable for everyone as opposed to just applicable for the people who can still work remotely. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's kind of difficult to say. I saw a couple of postcards from, uh, from the time of the Spanish flu. And apart from the design that was obviously old, you could have printed these today. It's kind of like the 
the skeptics, the, the know everything better people. And it's this was this one postcard with all these typical stereotypical critiques on there that amazed me. So I think we would have faced the same discussions. It just would have been a lot harder and, and the mistake would have probably caused a lot more a lot more damage than, than it, it does today. And it does cost us a lot today. So let's try and bring this back to something a little bit lighter. <laughs> we, we have, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that we were, that you knew some people who were getting dark and, and we've kind of gone dark, down a dark rabbit hole ourselves with this conversation. Where do you think, I, I want to say we're not the future, but next steps even, what, what do you as a, a member of the first board, what do you see as the next two or three months um, happening for first? And how do you, how do you see that what you're planning is going to build upon the success of the virtual um, conference? And, and what do you have planned for the near future that you think will actually make life better for some of the members? Um, nothing is a very valid um, answer because, hey, these things take time. And that's a good question. I think the big challenge we have is that we, in the board, that we can kind of start focusing again on on moving the organization forward. First has has really had a an unprecedented growth. It's a, like that we have a, a lot more than 500 members right now. And that that is something that created challenges, but those are the problems you want to have. And I think before COVID came, the, the thing was, hey, how do we move the organizations forward? We hired uh, Chris as a, our executive director. And there were all of these things that we thought, this is great. First is really going to move forward. And then kind of COVID came and it started to be a crisis management game. So I think the challenge is really going to be to move back onto this track of actually professionalizing the organization, making, uh, making sure members have value creating more outreach. I mean, there's still this challenge of having a member in every country. We be far away from this. We haven't even half of them. I mean, that's one of the things that I want to focus on or that we need to focus on as an organization. There have been a couple of, of real good successes that I, I'm really proud of. One of the things is that came out of the CTI symposium is actually that we managed to start a special interest group that brings together members from civil society with a kind of the private sector threat intel companies or security folks. And they really start to exchange ideas that start to work together. And that is something that's really great. It's a two years ago, civil society would avoid first because it's all the big companies and they did not trust the big companies. And I see something coming up that, and I think these type of initiatives, we have to move forward. Another really great initiative we had is a, there's a lot of work happening in, in the Western Balkans where first is involved. It's not driven by us, but we, we play a part and we see the the CERT community really growing there. It's these teams that two years ago would not talk to each other because of uh, we don't really talk to the neighbors, are now starting to talk to each other, seeing the value in collaboration, in, in, in sharing information, in, in just really working together. And I think these are things we really need to to focus on so that that these initiatives can can become a priority again so for me it's really making sure we we come out of this crisis and and start taking the leads that we left a year ago 
more than nine months ago or whatever it was. It's interesting to see that even after a year of turmoil, the, the roadmap that you'd laid out is still still valid, right? It's still what you want to head towards. Things haven't changed over that period. I mean, obviously the world has changed, but it's still the right direction to head in. It's still the right thing to do. And it's still the goals that you need to meet. It's useful sometimes for your goals to go through that kind of test and come out the other side and think, yes, this is still where we should be headed. Yes, I think so. And it's just important that we don't forget that these goals are there and that we actually take the lessons learned from this uh, from this crisis. I mean, it, it has taught us something. We, we talked about the virtual stuff, the virtual meetings. I mean, that's clearly something we're going to take out of that. And first, we should have a mission that that's more than just like, let's survive the next 12 months until we can go to the bar again at the annual conference. It's a, I mean, there is this goal of actually bringing instance responders together and, and try to make this world a somewhat better place. And I do think we, we can play a role. And there's a lot of things that actually have gone really well, even during the past couple of months. And that's where we need to need to continue working. Some of them unexpected, others uh, that we hoped for. But that is something that I feel is, uh, is, is still there. And we, sometimes you have to take a step back, kind of breathe deep and, and focus again on, on the goals you actually set. 